When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we are laughing, laughing away over taxes. We're already happy tax day, everybody. Um, you are ice rolling right now. How is your um, tax I, day going? <laughs> you know, I... Are your taxes complicated? They're incredibly complicated, oh. but they're also not my problem because <laughs> they're like, um, they're intertwined with the business. So... It's, it's That's the great. business. It's so it's so much more than just me. And it's also like the joint filing with Avi. So we've had an accountant. We've had the, an amazing, we've had an incredible CPA who we've been working with from like literally day one. So, and he is, uh, he's, he's, I, you know, some people, I think he's good with, he's good at it so far mm-hmm. from what I can tell. Um, yeah. but they're very complicated. He, you know, lets us, you know, he, he gives a rundown of what's happening, you know, with uh-huh. the taxes and every year it changes a little bit. Cause you know, when you have a bigger company, the rules change. Mm-hmm. Um, so crazy. Yeah. Um, there it's okay. Um, the way <laughs> that my taxes are, are done, but yeah, it's fascinating. On top of all that you do and you're constantly posting on social, I do have to remind myself that you are a business owner. You are a <laughs> A founder, a business lady. Right. I also, yeah, I also am like, I have to remind myself of that because I'm like, you're not, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not doing enough. Like I should be doing more. I should be like. Like what? Finding a company, founding a company? No, like more like I should be doing, like I should be more types of all types of things. Like I should be more active and I should be, you know, I should be making more TikToks, summarizing the news mm-hmm. and posting more news on my social because I'm doing that on my podcast and I just feel like I never have enough time to do that. But then I'm, I'm like, wait, actually <laughs> this whole time I'm also running the company. It just isn't, it just has, I'm so used to it at this point. It's but, easy to feel yeah. like, oh gosh, I'm just doing nothing because yeah. you've just been doing it for so long that it's just, it feels, I think like with both of us is like when we feel like we're idling, we're actually working quite hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 And, and that's what, um that's what I've decided to, this is totally going off the tax yeah, front, but, <laughs> but just, just to this point, I think that like, yes, it, it serves in our case, but I actually do think that it serves in way more cases than just, just ours, because I think women in particular 
keep wanting to, you know, stretch themselves, feeling like I never do enough. I I there's mm-hmm. more I could be doing. I should be doing X, Y, Z, this, this, and this and that. I'm not here for my kid as much, or I'm not here for my husband or my friends, or I don't work out, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Y- I think that there's so much that we just are used to the responsibility of taking care of that we don't even like register it as an accomplishment anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that only goes for me or you. I think that goes for probably everybody listening has their plates very full to the point that they don't even necessarily realize how full it is and take for granted all that they're doing. So yeah, everyone go easy on yourself. I regularly have to remind myself that like, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. Like, I'm totally the person that like 15 year old me thought would be so cool to be. Right. You but did I'm it. still just like You're ah! <laughs> well, gripping okay. on for dear life. Just OK. Just I mean, Monday but morning. My taxes were simple. That helped. <laughs> you know, so yeah, that's good. I'm, OK, yeah. Monday morning. Right. You're not married yet. So that's also you don't have to worry about his mm-hmm. stuff. OK. Monday morning tip while we're on this this note, I will give a piece that a piece of uh, something that I've been reflecting on a lot lately, because it is something I've been doing for several months, even I would say like a year now. And I've been really and I think it is kind of the unlock to feeling at peace with yourself more so than like mm-hmm. you might normally just go like so being so, so easy on yourself and so, so compassionate. And even when you have reasons to criticize yourself, let's say you like did yeah. something fucked up, just try for like a week or even like a month to just do not criticize yourself at all under any circumstances. You know, you did something wrong if mm-hmm. you did something wrong. So just like try the exercise of going so, so, so easy on yourself for a set period of time and over time, it it completely changes your relationship with yourself. That you're going to be resistant to it. You're going to be like, but I have to. It's not accurate. I'm not being true mm-hmm. to myself. I really did do this thing wrong. I really am bad at X, Y, Z. I can't say that I'm good at it. That's not the point of this. This the point of this is to like learn how to view yourself more objectively in a way that doesn't. Mm-hmm. make you hate yourself also. Well, whenever I see people that practice that in excess, which I know that like a lot of people wouldn't even be able to do that. I'm like, I don't even always hate on those people anymore because I'm like, God, it must feel good to be a little delusional because you know what? You can't change it. You're just at peace with yourself. Fine. I mean, we're going to talk about some men in this episode who are a little too at peace with themselves, but <laughs> they're causing harm. If you're a very self-critical person, naturally, you're never going to be like too easy. It, it, you're 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 not you're never going to be able to be one of those like truly self-indulgent people. So if something you struggle with is like is self-criticism, don't worry about becoming like that delusional, self-indulgent, self-dilute, self-obsessed person. Like it's really more just about learning how to like have an easier relationship with yourself. It's not about excusing your behavior. It's about learning how to, and and that's kind of like reparenting yourself. Like you can do something wrong, but you can still unconditionally love yourself. And then you can like reorient your track. And that's all that life is. So that's all that life is until the end of democracy. Okay, we're done. (laughs) Well, this does actually transition nicely into our next topic, which is uh, 
exceedingly wealthy men. I mean, sometimes it's like <laughs> we all do this, whether it's like wondering how your your friends were able to afford a house when they just had a baby and a big wedding. But also like I find myself watching people like the people like who me who just they file their they get their W-2, they file their tax return. I pay what pay what they say. We're the chumps. And the reason that right. most people, these wealthy people, you're probably like, what are they doing that I'm not doing? Well, their billions of dollars can afford them accountants to do very strategic tricks that get them out of pain. Or they started taxes. with more money. That's well, the of course, key thing. Of if you're starting from zero, most people don't start from just base zero. They start from negative or they start from positive. Just remember that. Exactly. Tax day context. Always have to remember, Jeff Bezos did not pay any income taxes in 2011, 2007, or 2018. Elon Musk, now richest man in the world, also frequently evades income tax. These are the two richest men in the world. But I also wanted to note that Warren Buffett and George Soros, who we like to think of as the more benevolent billionaires, they also go years without paying these taxes. And it's totally legal. But the highest income tax rate, 37%, kicks in for couples earning above about 620000 which is not nearly anywhere close to the amounts of billions that these people have. And most of the money that billionaires have access to is tied up in assets that they can't be taxed on. And we will come back to that when we talk a little bit about Elon Musk later on and how he's able to potentially buy Twitter with money that he's not going to pay taxes on. He doesn't even have that money. That's the no. that's the thing is like, if you have that money tied up in assets, you can live like you have it in cash. And it doesn't... And that I think is why it's feel so unfair because mm -hmm. especially with social media, you're able to see people's lives and in Elon Musk's case, he's funding his own trips to space. So that's its own, that's its own level beyond what we're we typically see. I was reading some piece about this. You know, this is a common mm -hmm. time that these types of things get written up. And it was saying how people who make between like two and five million dollars pay the they're the chumps. Like they pay yeah. the highest portion of the tax burden. And it's like when people say, but, and, and you know what? Here's the thing. If it were built that way, sure. But I think that that is kind of a problem because when that becomes a problem, because when you hear the messaging from, let's say just the, and the left in general, where it's like, eat the rich, ta you know, raise taxes. I think the people that that are in there in many people's minds when they're thinking about like the rich they want to eat are mm -hmm. the like two to five millionaires. <laughs> like it really, I think the mess because it looks like people who have that money are living totally. similar, you yeah. know, somewhat similarly to to a to a very very wealthy person. And I think the messaging that goes into like these changes mm -hmm. would benefit from being more focused on the ex the ultra ultra wealthy because here's the thing the 2 to 5 millionaire that's an attainable place for someone who starts off with sort of your average salary to get to you know mm -hmm. why do they want to end up in that why do they want to like why do you want to like work to then just right. end up in the place where you get taxed and blamed for for these like massive inequalities that actually are not really like you're really not part of that. Well, also because like the gulf between the people that make two to five million dollars and let's say those are people or have that wealth and let's say those are people who favor Republican policies when it comes to taxation. They're, they're, the gulf between them and 
the Elon Musk's is so much bigger by by and by so much exponentially bigger than the gulf between somebody making 40,000 a year and them. Right. So much bigger. Yet the, the yet they still identify politically with them, but it's like no no no, it's all of us against them. You can come be you're, you you five millionaire, right. you're a little guy too. But the but he, but here's here's why that happens. Because within the society, someone who makes $40,000 a year, even though they're much closer to the two millionaire, the two millionaire can attain the status much closer to Elon Musk yeah, yeah, yeah. than the person who's making $40,000. So that completely misaligns the numbers with the reality. And that ultimately only benefits like, literally, we're talking about 700 people. We're talking right, about exactly. 700 people who could really make a dent in this problem. And that's who this is. This whole thing is benefiting. It's yeah. really quite wild. Should we come up with a new tagline that makes sense? Think mm-hmm. about it. We'll think about it. Okay, cool. When we come back, we will talk a bit more about what these billionaires are spending their money on. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. As we were talking about that, I think we both were probably thinking what all the memes say, which is that like the IRS knows exactly how much we owe. And yet we still have to like figure it out on our own. And if you've looked about this in the past, like there's a lot of really interesting reading on it, but we very easily could have like a federal free filing system, but there are corporations and there are, there are like forces at work to keep that from happening. And with much, with a lot of things, the federal government is just kind of like, all right, sounds easier if we just let them handle it. So there's a lot working against us and the federal government is not, is not helping. But lawmakers like Elizabeth Warren have never stopped saying like, we need to come up with a free way to file your taxes. And a lot of, a lot of corporations and like companies have that, but they work very hard to make sure you don't know it's free. Can I, can I, do you do your own taxes? Yeah. I do them every year using, you know, one of the, one of the like, softwares like a software. that everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that like, how's that experience? How, what was, how was the first time you did that? It's always very terrifying. And I think that they know that and they like play on that fear to get you to pay more and more. Because if you used these things, you can see it's like you're 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 submitting the same information, but they'll give you different tiers of like security or that are different prices. And I'm like, I started this process and you said it was free. And as especially as like a young person, you're terrified of taxes. You're petrified. Like once you start doing it without your dad or your mom helping you right. or like your dad's friend, <laughs> right. that it's petrifying. And so I think like the amount, I think I read somewhere that like it's up to like $20 million a year people spend on filing their taxes who are actually eligible to do it for free. But the government just wow. 
again, it's just like, oh, we'll let these companies handle it and they can do their incentives and whatever. Here's the thing. What would people do with if they didn't have an accountant and they didn't have a free filing system? They need the companies. But my question is like, the government knows that it could do it for free. It could tell you exactly how much you owe in taxes. It actually has to do that anyway, because that's how they uh, figure out if you paid your taxes. <laughs> like, So it's just so it's such a fucking racket that they don't just fucking tell you. And then this whole system with like the returns and the refunds, like I, I actually kind of get why that's necessary because it's based on your like previous year's income in some cases. Mm-hmm. But it just seems so ridiculous to me why they don't just fucking tell you. I wish I knew more about how other countries do it, but I do think there are some that are like, here's exactly what you owe us. We're going to take it out of your account. Yeah. This is good. And it's also, I mean, it changes year to year. And if you're not like, I had many years in my career where I didn't really realize that like, this fortunately has never happened to me at Betches, but at other companies, when I would get raises, they wouldn't correct like my deductions. And I wouldn't know that I had to owe more. And then I would, you know, and then I you usually up, have a refund. Yeah. But then one year I owed like, you know, hundreds of dollars, which for a 24 year old in New York City was a sh- I was living paycheck to paycheck. And it was shocking. And I had no idea because there's just like too many people benefit from this being a very opaque process. Yeah. I mean, they could easily just be like, oh, like we bump it up automatically because it's a proportion of your income. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. It's like and still every year when I do it, I get like like this year, I, I there was a box that wasn't filled up. And for a while, it was saying I owed $3,000 to the city of New York. And you can imagine, I was shaking. I was sweating. And who do and you it's call? Just like, Ghostbusters? Right. Like, who the fuck do you call? Like, <laughs> who do like, you call? Right. Like, do I actually owe this? Like, how do you navigate that? And then it's like, okay, well, can I just pay more this year? Like, it's just... Nobody talks about it, but so yeah. many more people are on IRS payment plans than you would think. You also like, oh, to- right. That's what all those commercials are for. Figure mm-hmm. out how to restructure your IRS payment. Oh, clearly you fucked up and you have a payment that's outstanding and now you have to pay it. And that's why you have those commercials. Like it's all sort of like the answers are all sort of there to like what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem like I can see clearly who it does benefit to have the process be opaque, but it does not seem to benefit the federal government. And it's just no. very irritating that they just sort of like they're they actually are taking some actions. There's like the most recent episode of Slate's What What's Next podcast goes really deep into some ProPublica reporting on this. Uh, I'd recommend listening to that. Uh, really just like gnarly stuff going on. If the IRS were better funded, it would there would be more tax revenue. It would be just overall a more efficient system. Yeah, I was thinking about this morning and I forgot to follow up, but like, wasn't there something in Build Back Better yes. to go recoup? And did we they just were. not pass that on its own? We just because Build Back Better didn't happen. We need to start taking some pieces apart. And I think that maybe didn't go through if it if I'm recalling correctly, because I remember reading that, like, for every seven dollars you spend, you get or maybe like every one dollar you spend, you get like 10 back. It's a crazy. It's like so, so, so worth it to just actually totally. have them go after the right people. But also, I mean, as we said at the beginning, like a lot of these billionaires are not necessarily, it's not tax evasion. They are, they are, they are not manipulating the process. They're just exploiting it to their, to yeah, they're making they're the most of it for themselves. And we need our, yeah, we need our legislators to change that. Right. Right. Exactly. It's not their yeah. fault, I guess, you know? Yeah. Because then maybe we could have some of these people's monies to like fix our fundamental problems. Like today at the end of this episode, you're going to listen to um, an interview I did with somebody in the VP's office. Her name was her name is Rohini Gosulu, and she is like the maternal health expert. And it's just such a fucking crisis. And like the what they, how much they had to fight to just extend some Medicaid 
benefits for people who just had a reminder that having a baby is like the most intense medical experience you will hopefully ever have. You had to like beg for a couple bucks to keep it going when Elon Musk has more money than you can ever imagine. And what's he doing with it? He is probably going to buy Twitter against its wills. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. So this was sort of like playing out last week, and I don't think we updated on it just because I felt like we had done too many episodes about Elon Musk. But where we are today, to sort of like take us back a week, Musk bought millions of Twitter shares. He became the company's biggest shareholder. Its leadership then approached him like, hey, we got to like come up with some terms. They basically saw this was happening. We're like, this guy can't just own all these. We need to like figure out how to manage him. So he agreed to these and his position on the board of directors was announced. But then he started posting tweets that like he kept trolling them. He... He had just joined the board saying that he wouldn't do that anymore. But then he kept pointing. He was like, Taylor Swift doesn't even, she hasn't tweeted in three months. Who cares? He also suggested, yeah, who cares? They also suggested they rename the company uh, by taking out the W and then it would be Titter. And he proposed making the headquarters a homeless shelter, which also I'm like, dude, you could just, you could make homeless shelters in every city on the planet if you just wanted to. Then suddenly he and the CEO announced that Musk will not be on the board after all. And this is when things seem to have like gotten really intense and bad for Twitter. Part of the original agreement Twitter had with Musk was that he wouldn't buy any more shares or pursue a hostile takeover. That agreement doesn't exist anymore. And Musk has since offered to buy Twitter outright for $43 billion. He said in his filing that Twitter has a quote, has quote, extraordinary potential and I will unlock it, which just is giving I alone can fix it vibes. Ugh. And in response, Twitter adopted a poison pill plan that would take effect if a single person or entity buys 15% of its shares. Musk, I don't know if it was currently, but the last time I read it owned 9%. Uh, and yeah, there's somebody else who's buying more. But the idea is that this will allow people to buy stocks at a discounted price with the hope that it will just like dilute his Musk's impact. But like, what does this mean? What's a hostile takeover? It's basically like because it's a public company, if he buys enough shares, yeah. he then can get enough voting power or if he could persuade other shareholders. Do you watch Succession? No, not the last. Okay. Well, yeah, I watched yeah. the first season. Yeah. That he can persuade enough shareholder other people to basically vote for terms that 
would give him control of the way the company runs. And then he would essentially get to either be the chairman or appoint a chairman. It really depends on like the situation and that company's rules. But essentially it means like somebody, because it's public, whoever owns the most gets to control it. So he could find a way to just own the most and then he would control it basically. Mm-hmm. And because it's not private, they can't be like, no, we won't sell to you. He just has to buy it on the public market. And that's kind of how it how it works. It's very it's pretty old school. I feel like you don't hear about a lot mm-hmm. of these hostile takeovers, like very 80s classic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't he wants to basically like change the rules of the platform. And that's why he wants to do it, which is, you know, this has this is a more influential company that you would hostily take over than let's say like Monsanto, you know, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, some of the things he wants to change around Twitter, for example, he basically seems to want no content moderation or policing, since that seems to be the main issue people have with Twitter, that it's not moderated enough. <sighs> I mean, that is not what we need. People with this opinion fail to realize that only certain people get free speech when anyone can do whatever they want. I mean, if you could do whatever you wanted on Twitter, I would no longer like to be on Twitter. People have already left apps because of the lack of content moderation. People get hounded off the platform. And other like potential consequences of Elon Musk either owning Twitter or just continuing to cause these market fluctuations. We talk a lot about on this podcast about how like the stock market isn't necessarily like a sign of economic health for average Americans, but like it does have connections to people's 401ks and their pensions. To that extent, people are affected. And we already know when he just like says, oh, I'm going to take a huge company private, that fucks with people's fucking 401ks. Like you cannot be doing that. And the fact that he thinks that they should have more of that and not less of it is is quite scary. I don't really know like what to make out of where we are in this situation or what comes next, but well, okay, just to speak to like the 401k's, my guess is that Twitter is not like a, Twitter itself is not like a large portion of like any one person's 401k. My guess is that it's part of like a tech ETF or some sort of fund that would that would be accounted for within it mm-hmm. because it's with it there's other companies to balance it out. But regard, like, I think the issue is more like, what could Twitter become if he's in charge of it? And that's gonna, who knows what that will do to the economy at any given moment. That just makes the situation so much more volatile, which, again, affects people's people's economic situation. So like, I would put it more in that sense is that like, volatility to me is unwelcome. And uh, he seems to be someone who does not have a problem with that because that's what happens when you have a completely unmoderated platform because that's why you have court cases that limit free speech like why you can't yell fire in a crowded theater because things like that can happen the equivalent of that can happen digitally and that fucks shit up like i don't you know i don't really know i mean as this whole thing just has it really reminds me of how trump became president and caused an insurrection law and i know elon musk is not trump i know elon musk is a smart man who wants like will do has done some good things i i am not saying there but like when you have a wealthy man who is incredibly spiteful with millions of people that adore him at his who will activate the second he says it like we have seen this does not work a man became president who shouldn't have been and then twitter let him mouth off for four years and then he caused an insurrection like why are we even and, and then but i'm like i'm tempted i'm like looking for somebody to blame but i'm like well it looks like this guy can just buy the whole fucking company and run it 
you can blame human nature. That's really it. Like our worst angels, you know, you could put it that way. Like, I don't really know other than just it's human nature that um, human nature combined with like American cultural norms and technology, essentially, I would say that leads to these characters gaining like outsized influence, power and money. Like, I just don't really know what you could really do about that because part of that is just like humans are kind of attracted to it. Like they're drawn to the volatility, like a moth to the flame. Like I just don't even, and look like that partially comes from a norm. Like I don't think in a, a less individualistic society, you would have as much you people wouldn't idolize that as much. And I think that part of that has to do with just who we are as a culture and like the technology that has, has enhanced that. So I just don't, I don't really know what you can do about something like that. I mean, speaking of like how this, what this has to do with where we are as a culture, I've just been thinking this morning, what do you think this conversation would look like if Musk was a woman? Like it wouldn't, wouldn't be, be happening. It. We wouldn't be anywhere she, near here. She, it wouldn't even be. She'd be in jail. So she wouldn't I just, exist. She, there be, is no female Elon Musk. Like female yeah. Elon, Elon Musk is Tommy Laren. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that's as that's her, you know? Yeah. I just don't know. Right, yeah. because they actually get like told off for their their like terrible hateful idea. Well, I guess I don't know hateful, but they're like there's no obnoxious f- does not bubble up. Yeah, there's because it, it it can't. There's no right. female Elon Musk's like there's, there's no female Trogans. There's Trump. Like they're just they don't exist. Mm-hmm. So best of they're they're hilarious Baldwin. That's who they yeah. are. <laughs> oh, that is so true. Like if Hilaria Baldwin was a man, she would she would be running several companies by now, totally. and probably trying to buy Twitter. She would be running Ola Magazine or El Pais. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and a of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. 
No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. And before we end the episode, I'll share this interview with President Kamala Harris's advisor on maternal health, Rohini Gasolu. Hello, everyone. This morning, we are joined by Rohini Kosolu, Deputy Assistant to the President and Domestic Policy Advisor to the Vice President, to discuss the administration's effort on maternal health. Happy Monday. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thanks for having me. I hope you had a restful weekend after last week, which was a very intense week for maternal health, which you are, of course, the administration's expert on. Uh, I have three young children (laughs) under nine, so uh, restful is a very broad definition, but (laughs) thanks for asking. I felt a tightness in my chest when you said that, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So as we mentioned last week was the White House's second proclamation of Black Maternal Health Week. I'm curious, as I mentioned, this was the second. So to start, what lessons did the administration learn from last year's initiative, which was the first and the efforts that followed? And how did that determine where you decided to focus this year? That's a great question. Um, So, you know, last year we were able to bring to the White House uh, women from around the country, Black women, to describe their experience, many of which had preventable uh, uh, things that had happened to them while they were giving childbirth. Um, But it was really one of the one of the first times the vice president had introduced as senator the resolution for black maternal health week uh and so to see that at the white house level being raised um in a proclamation was pretty special but also one of the common themes throughout um that women were able to share their firsthand experiences were about you know the the ability for them to share that they when many times when they went in to see their doctor or provider that they just felt like they weren't being heard that was a common thread you heard throughout and the feeling of loss of control for many women when they're going in and you know they're trying to explain that they know something is off um so that really set the stage for the work that was ahead of us um and last december we had a pretty historic day at the White House. We focused in on some, you know, several key issues. But first of all, you know, the way I would break it down is into two parts, which is, you know, we have women, uh, when we com- look at women around the country, um, but also when we compare ourselves to our global counterparts, developed nations around the world, we have one of the worst outcomes of any developed nation just for the the outcomes women are having during pregnancy childbirth and post-pregnancy and then when you look into that data further black and native american women are at much higher rates of dying during childbirth than than other women counterparts in the united states and so for black women uh three to four times more likely native american women twice as likely and rural women, even uh, one and a half times more likely. So we know that within that data that, you know, behind all those numbers are women in different uh, proportions that, you know, have have reason to be, uh, you know, to really expect better from our healthcare system. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that was my next question for you, because when you do compare our outcomes in the U.S. to other nations, other high income nations, the 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 disparity is so dramatic. Do we know what is causing that disparity? Do we need more data? Is it a mix of both? I mean, what is behind that? Yeah, so it really is a mix of both. Um, what we know is that, uh, you know, take women in rural areas. They could live, you know, for many of them in different rural counties, they may not have access to the same healthcare services. Some rural counties don't have uh, an OB provider. They may not have access within driving distance to a hospital uh, with an OB unit. Um, we know that for Black women, uh, when we have looked at the data that, you know, they're across income level, they found that it didn't act when you can, when you controlled for income, black women, it didn't matter how much income they were having. They were experiencing some of the same bad outcomes. Um, and, but when we, when we sort of look across the landscape right now in States right now, largely a lot of the data is being collected uh, at the state level and that state level data can be stronger our federal data and collection of the data and how we interpret it can be stronger. And so back to your earlier question about what the administration, what we learned and what we can do, we do know that it's not just one part of the White House. We need the whole administration to focus on this because every, you know, so many agencies in the, across the administration have different uh, touch points on this issue, whether it's the DOD with active military or the veterans administration with veterans. Um, we know that, you know, just sitting around the table that there, you have to bring in the person, the, the agency head that controls the budget and the spending. Um, and so there's a lot of, you know, the vice president last week held this maternal health meeting with cabinet officials and they were all able to come forward uh, knowing their part that they have in helping the maternal Internal health crisis that we have in this country. Yeah. I mean, I just can't help but think that it is very powerful that now all those people, you know, owe, owe answers to the vice president of, of the United States. And it's all part of, you know, a team effort. You mentioned, um, you mentioned looking at how this data is interpreted as well. And on, on, a call, on the call last week that the vice president held with some women journalists, uh, she spoke about that. And I thought it was just so fascinating how you also have to make sure the people who are looking at the data have the life experience or the background or the context to even know what trends, what trends they're looking at and what needs correction. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine that um, obviously no, you know, I think this issue is challenging because you know, there's not a hospital in the nation that wants, you know, it's not uh, something they're proud of when, when, um, you know, there's a bad outcome for a mother at a hospital. Um, but the urgency and the need, um, when we know that there are preventable things that we can do and put in place, uh, at the level, we need to study that data much more thoroughly. Uh, and when we look at the historical trends over time, you know, the focus has really been in our country over the last several decades around the infant, actually. And so, you know, there's a lot of attention that's paid to when that baby comes out. Are they assessed? What are the screenings that have to get done? Um, you know, so there has been a lot more resources put into the focus being, we got to keep this baby alive. We got to make sure our NICUs are staffed up. And there hasn't been as much 
uh, focus on the mother at the time. And that is something, you know, we know that with the right coordination and uh, as you talked about lived experience um, that was sitting around that table last week, but we'll continue on that. We know that there has to be more focus specifically when it comes to the mothers in this country. Yeah. And it sounds like incorporating more of the insights from doulas and midwives whose, you know, their job is to focus on the mom will really help out with that. That's exactly right. So doulas can be critical tools because they are really considered an advocate for that mother that is giving birth. I mean, many times uh, for most women, it is it is an experience that uh, it is one of the first times in their life that they're basically out of control in a situation where they don't have the same voice to advocate because they're in between contractions, they're focused on giving birth. And so, um, of course, having a doula that is basically there to represent your needs and help communicate with the nurses, the midwives and doctors can be helpful for many women. Uh, we also know that, um, you know, right now what's being debated at the state level is covering women that are on Medicaid. Medicaid is, uh, a program that covers 40% of the births in this country. Uh, and states are right now debating whether they should cover postpartum coverage for two months or, or propose it for one full year. And the difference between a year and two months. So most women are familiar that, uh, you know, they have an eight week checkup and, uh, but for in a year, what you can cover is really be tracking, uh, you know, blood loss, ha- things that would lead to any bad outcomes. We have talked about vaccination, pelvic exams, all of that stuff that we know would be um, much stronger if states took up that ability to cover women for a year postpartum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that really, I mean, learning about that aspect really put, you know, reminded me what maternal health means, which is that you're looking at outcomes for, I believe one of the definitions is like up to a year after birth. That's right. And we know that one third of the the deaths um, that women uh, unfortunately experience after childbirth, one third of them are postpartum. So just, but even that piece alone, a lot of it, you know, people just aren't aware about the outcomes and data, which is why we need more access for academics and journalists and those that study the data as well to be able, um, which is exactly what the vice president called for. It's, you know, this is about transparency and also making this accessible to people uh, in this country that can help make a better, um, better system for us. Yeah. And sounds like treating it like what it is, which is, which is a crisis when you look at these numbers. Finally, this is probably a pretty hard question without a straight answer, but I was curious if there's like a single change to our healthcare system that could have the most impact on maternal health and on maternal health outcomes. Well, that's a good question. Uh, it's, uh, you know, what we did learn, I think over, uh, you know, the, the last year with the vice president focusing on this issue is how multifaceted it is. I mean, there's no issue that we have seen taking on, uh, the issue just within the administration on gender equity alone, where we've seen one specific policy that will fix the world for women. Uh, that being, you know, because when you look at it holistically, uh, across, you know, everything. It's how does she get to the appointment? What's the transportation like? What is the nutrition she's having? Where is she living? Is it a stressful condition? Are there things that the the government can be helpful at? And many times there are things we can do, uh, which is what we're trying to do. But a big issue in all of this, uh, 
you know, I would say right now, for right now, the best things that is happening is these states we're seeing since the vice president's focus on this, uh, a number of states, we're at over, you know, dozens of states that are now looking into covering women from two months to a year. Um, but the long-term level, what we really need to do is, uh, you know, the vice president would talk about it in terms of, you know, us moving forward in terms of carrots and sticks. And so right now we are working on, uh, the administration is putting forward this concept of birthing friendly hospitals, which will help us at least consumers out in the world know which, you know, which hospitals really are, you know, reporting on quality covering, uh, you know, they're turning in their data. Uh, they are, they're working to make efforts to make things better for Whitman and their birthing experience. The, we also know that at some point, you know, certain hospitals, when you look at the data, we need to look at which ones, uh, you know, could be doing better. And people need to know those things. Uh, and where are they having the bad outcomes? Are there repeat actors in this? Um, or do they need more funding because they're having a population that may be just more complicated uh, in the healthcare system? So this is the longer term approach of payment and how we make payments for things, uh, which uh, is so important in healthcare policy writ large. But at the end of the day, these are women and uh, I think the vice president using her platform to also um, allow these women to know that it's OK to speak up and that it's OK to own your power. Uh, you know, the hope is that it, this drive brings about change as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even if it had been, you know, any administration of any two people that decided to launch this, I mean, it does seem to have the impact of having a black woman as the vice president be so receptive and have people willing to entrust her with these stories um, is so impactful. Thank you so much for your time today. We're so appreciative. Thank you for having me. And that's our show for today. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Better Sub Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.